Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Episode number 193 of the Course Grind Podcast. Can you believe it? I can't count that high. With you as always, host creator Sean Rossler. How is everyone doing this fine, beautiful, lovely day? Um, not to turn things serious as far as the intro goes a little bit, but you know what? I'm going to level with you. Returning home after a great loss can instill in you an appreciation for not just the home you grew up in and those very small scope surroundings, but you begin to appreciate the town, the region itself for all it has and has always had, despite you being young and impatient in 1995, to offer you. Doing so, even in the face of said negative event, makes you very grateful for friends old and friends new. And among those friends, I've had the honor to reconnect with, not to mention reschedule with, one in particular who is here with me today. And here's a refresher, if you missed him the first time, with motivations including good coffee, great chocolate, his family, and empowered communities. Today's guest moved to Cameroon in 2007 and has been working on international business development ever since. His passion for social entrepreneurship led him to establish humanitarian projects in West Africa, North India, Central Mexico, and eventually to co-founding a cacao and tropical fruit farm in Cameroon, along with the Bean to Bar Chocolate Factory in, you guessed it, kids, Honesdale, PA. Yes, you read that. Well... I read it. You heard it correctly. Our guest currently serves as managing director for the Himalayan Institute Cameroon and CEO of Mocha Origins, where he manages supply chain, marketing, and brand strategy, while also overseeing reciprocity and impact at origin. As if that wasn't enough, he also serves as the president of the Himalayan Institute Humanitarian and is a board member on the FedEx Entrepreneur Advisory Board. He's been doing amazing things since a little more than 50 episodes ago, and admittedly, I've been a little too wrapped up in my own scene to focus on these things, on these new and exciting things, but that's going to stop today. Cutting to the man of the hour, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone in between, the CEO and co-founder of Mocha Origins, located in my dear Honesdale, PA, humanitarian, chocolatier, and someone I'm proud to call friend, the Jeff Abella. Jeff, how are you, sir? Hey, Sean, I'm doing great. Thanks for the intro. Always, always, always. So appreciated. So great to come home. I know, um, you know, people following this story, yours was one of the first like podcast faces I saw when I went back to take care of things with my dad. And, you know, honestly, I think running into you, running into um, some other folks who've done the show before, we'll keep them nameless because they're going to come back too. It really kind of helped get wheels back under me. So in, in the eye of the public, I want to thank you for just being that presence, being that rooting presence that reminded me, you know, Honesdale is about more than just one house. Honesdale is about the vibe, the feel, the energy completely. Yeah, it really is. It's about that community and Sean seeing you, um, you know, in those moments, uh, yeah, it was, um, kind of felt good to connect, um, at a time when friends needed it most as well. Yeah. So I'm glad we're back together here. hundred percent, man. And not to mention an old high school buddy I haven't seen since 95. So hi, Bart, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> so, you know, without further ado, let's just jump right down into it. Folks new to the program, folks with terrible short-term memories like yours truly, Starters, mains, and afters. Starters, we're going to talk about the guests' origin story, if you will, just like in comic books, where they came from, how they got here. Listen, you can go back and you can listen to the long form in 149. I want to get to the mains, where the guest is currently at, what they're doing, where they get inspiration from. There's a lot of exciting stuff that wasn't happening in episode 149 that is happening as of episode 193, and I want to dig into it. And finally, afters, a little bit more goofy, a little bit more reverent, a little bit off the cuff. Um... And we'll touch back into those. So without further ado, Jeff, let's let's bring everybody up to speed, um, yep. you know, maybe in a Cliff Notes format. Tell me about where and what Jeff Abella grew up eating. 
Oh gosh. Well, I was born in the Midwest, so a lot of cheese. Mm-hmm. I'm talking Wisconsin too. So like, you know, dairy country, a lot of corn, you know, the meat and potatoes kind of stuff. And, um, and I have not lost my addiction to cheese. Um, but have added, have layered on additions to chocolate and, and coffee. I mean, I, th- I think the three, I think that's going to be the next thing. I just want to throw that out there in case it gets copyrighted. I want in on yeah. this. Mocha you cheese. Heard it here first. Mocha cheese. You heard it here. Um, so yeah, with that Midwest flair, you know, cheese corn and all that. Yep. It's certainly a bit of a jump, but let's talk a little more. Obviously, you know, as a young one, were you a picky eater or were you kind of like put anything in front of me? Uh-huh. I was a picky eater and I didn't know it then, but I know I was now looking back mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I tell, and I thank my wife for the, um, culinary experiences I now indulge in. And I look back and, and I'm like, what was I missing out on a lot? So yeah. I was a picky eater and, uh, but now I, I, yeah, love diverse cultures in terms of travel and experiences as well as culinary um, culinarily speaking. So, yeah, I mean, it, and yeah. that's, that's clearly the, the understatement of the century. And we'll get into all, you know, Jeff Abella, yeah. man of the world here, here in a minute. <laughs> um, you know, when you think back to that Midwest kind of culinary upbringing, are, are, are there foods or dishes that you miss the most that you think back and you get that kind of nostalgic pang? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Like, um, my mom would make this chicken pot pie. Nice. That was, I mean, just, and I'm actually vegetarian now, so I, I can't even, uh, um, I can't even, when I go home, uh, you know, I don't even get, get to taste this again, but, but right. definitely like anchored the, uh, my, my childhood. And, and food is one of those things, like those experiences live with you. And so, you know, when you think of, when you think of your, your, your childhood or your, your past experiences, like a lot of it culturally, like revolves around experiences with food. And I, I definitely remember that one. A few other things was um, um, a lot of Mexican food as well, um, even in the Midwest. Uh, and uh, that kind of got, uh, um, you know, even uh, more so part of my my family's culture when we started working in, in central Mexico a few years ago. Um, so, awesome. yeah, I think I think um, my mom would be proud nice. to know that I've I've. Uh, I've expanded my horizons. Expanded your horizons. Yeah. Now, I, now yeah. I have to ask with a Pennsylvania Dutch wife, <laughs> you say chicken pot pie. Describe that dish to me. All right. So it's got the crust on all. You okay. Know, you pie, can stop. Right? You can stop right there. You can stop right there. Oh. Greta, if you're listening, okay. see, that is chicken pot pie. It's not a soup. It's not a soup. It's not a soup. I told you. Yes. Wow. It has I'm, a I'm crust. <laughs> You're bringing up marital marital strife. It has literally. Yeah, I don't want to get in the middle of this, but I do need to know more. So we'll, yeah. that's an offline. We'll fill in the gaps in a minute. Yeah. I was hoping. I was literally hoping for you to lead with. It has a crust. Put a period after that. We're done. We're good. Um, so you, you have this cool kind of culinary upbringing, and you know it, it's obviously it's the Midwest version of it, but it's 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 its yeah. own flavor. You obviously took this and like. Blew it up crazy with the chocolate, with the coffee. When was the moment that like Jeff Abella Midwest guy said, here's what I want to do. Food is more than just like, you know, consume, digest, move on. Yeah. The moment was we were in, in Cameroon, West Africa. So we had started working for a not-for-profit. This was about 15 years ago already. Uh, and doing nothing related to food or agriculture at that at that startup moment. 
Uh, but a few years later, it evolved to working directly with a lot of farmers, all kinds of farmers, not just cocoa and coffee farmers. But I remember this one moment where we started to actually, we were actually hiring coffee farmers to grow other, uh, actually herbs that our laboratory project was turning into medicine, right? And it was like, why are coffee farmers so eager for a more diverse range of crops to grow? And then it clicked. And the firsthand feedback was that because it's going to complement or be substitutional income for what we don't earn on coffee. And that coffee as a single crop is not sustainable. So we started asking all these questions and kind of got really connected to this idea that agriculture has so much potential to uh, increase livelihood and ultimately create jobs. But I remember this first meeting, you know, after we started really focusing in on cocoa and coffee as a potential crop for a product that we would launch. And I gave myself like a five year window of time to like figure this out. Um, but we were in this co-op. We were in this village in, uh, in the southwest region of Cameroon, uh, in this beautiful, beautiful village. And I remember sitting down with this group of cocoa, uh, cooperative members. There were cocoa mm-hmm. farmers mm-hmm. and all of them were between, yeah, between 40 and 80 years old and, you know, I go in, I'm eager to change the world, super young, very naive, excited about <laughs> cocoa because it has something to do with chocolate. And that's kind of all I knew. Right, and right. wow, now I realize what I didn't know. And I remember sitting down and, and talking to uh, this this group and, and this farmer, her name was Ma Lucy. And the story she told about cocoa had nothing to do with chocolate. It had very little to do with like cocoa as an ingredient for chocolate. It had to do with the importance of this this crop, this this tree that for generations has been cultivated on their ancestral land, and the importance that that crop brings to not only her but her family and her whole compound and, and village, and that cocoa was the kind of lifeline for all their uh, economic needs. You know, food on the table, uh, children in school health bills, everything. And, and and then we tasted chocolate together and we kind of filled in that gap in terms of high quality cocoa can equal high quality chocolate that can demand a higher price and ultimately earn farmers more if the supply chain is structured to compensate them fairly. Mm. And it, But it was in that moment that I realized the disconnect between cocoa and chocolate is so great that like the you know, the, the, the farmers aren't eating chocolate. They're not making chocolate. They're not participating in the value addition, the profit adding steps of cocoa. Mm-hmm. And chocolate makers or chocolate consumers don't even know what chocolate is made out of. And I walked in that meeting very unclear on how do you go from a bean to a bar? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and, and what's underneath that bean in terms of economic importance? So Ma Lucy over the course of an hour shared her life story and how Cocoa is a, um, a a material that really sustains life. I mean, she, she shared her story, and to me, it sounds like she changed her life with that one hour. It, that was the moment. That was the moment. That was it. And fast forward, you know, you say that being the bar, and and I'm having flashbacks to 149 about how you know we kind of dissected what fair trade is and what it isn't, and and all all the different terms, but. You know, immediately I think of that bean to bar and I immediately and, you know, you're vegetarian now, so I'll tread lightly. But like people, people are the same way with meat in any variety. It's like people have lost knowledge of where things come from. And so 
folks, if you're in and around Honesdale and you happen out to Mocha Origins out at 952 Bethany Turnpike in Honesdale, like one of the first things you get isn't chocolate, isn't coffee, it's an education. I think one of the things I love most about what you've done out there, Jeff, is that it feels like a museum to a degree. It really does. Like you walk in and my boys were just like, well, wait a minute. And, you know, not to say that there's, you know, they're thinking that like chocolate bars grow on trees, but there was so much to consume, both literally and figuratively, you know, when you walked in. And I think one of the other things I love the most is that everything you do has pictures, has faces. And you get to know these people, and it's the the humanization of it all um, is is amazing. So to give these folks a fair a, a fair shake in life by growing higher quality chocolate, ergo producing higher quality chocolate, ergo asking you know more in return. Because I, as as the industry was, and helped me to re understand, like this industry is not made for them to benefit to survive almost. No, chocolate depends on low-cost beans. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I mean, that produces low-quality, low-cost chocolate. But yep. the farmers are paying the price for that low-cost chocolate. Yep. Yeah, that's amazing. But it, rel- but it relies on that to keep the, the price um, driving lower and lower. Sure. And, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, you go in and you get, you know, Bar X. We won't even name brands here because we don't want to throw anybody under the bus per se. For a dollar fifty. Or you go out, you know, to Mocha and you buy one for, you know, six, seven, you will taste the difference. I assure you of this. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, kind of like a does statement to me. But again, if folks are new to really higher end chocolate, I, I think again, what you're doing out there is, is an education process. So, so the conversation with Ma changes your life. Fast forward past 149 to today, Jeff Abella. Um, Obviously, Mocha Origins is out there on the Turnpike. And obviously, like right after, I know we were in touch about, you know, this store, that store, that kind of thing. Give us the update. Give And I, I, I honestly, I was so excited last night writing this. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't wait to catch up and understand everything because I catch up on social. Um, if you're out on Facebook, Insta, be sure to check out Mocha Origins. Um, incredible stuff going on. But what has been happening, both storefronts, products? Tell us all about it. Yeah, so we've been really working hard to, since, I mean, yeah, 149, wow, and here we are almost 50 episodes later, uh, so a good amount of time has gone by, but not that much. But not that much, about two years, give or take. About two years, yeah. yeah. So what a great moment for an update, because, well, let's face it, a lot has happened in the world in two years, in the last two years especially, so it's been it's been a push. I mean, two years ago, we were a startup. I still consider us a, a startup. We're kind of straddling that scale up mode here. Yep. Um, and then we had a pandemic in between then and now. Uh, but one thing we had all, always really put a lot of emphasis on is diversifying our sales channels and doing so, so that we had stability. Um, and we could also express like the different desires that we, that Mocha wants to achieve. So craft coffee. Um, bean to bar chocolate, two very different products, um, with very different kind of sales channels and strategies. Um, but that diversification has really helped over the last two years. Um, and then, and then like the different market channels we're in. So, um, grocery mm-hmm. versus cafes versus online versus our factory store. 
Uh, and I've had a lot of chats with entrepreneurs, especially in the food package, uh, packaged food space. And it's like, how do you, how do you get over these like turbulent bumps and bruises? And, and I think diversity is key. So we put a lot of emphasis into that over the last two years, which has really helped to kind of sustain our growth. Um, and, um, it's not, not easy. You're doing a lot of things all at once and you're thinking about your different, different strategies and product directions and positioning. Um, but we kind of embrace this idea that that's a creative process and, and we're, um, enjoying that. And that keeps us from like losing our, our heads, but it's been pretty intense. Um, we started working closer with some tier one, uh, tier one grocery, uh, stores, some chains. So, um, Whole Foods Market came online about 12 months ago, uh, has been one of our bigger partners on the East Coast. Um, and that's been, that's been a really great, um, just way to get our, our, our product into more hands. Um, and then have started to look at other grocery stores that are kind of in line with this idea of, uh, or, you know, organic food, uh, sustainable sourcing and ethical business practices or supply chain. And so you know, we're in about 350 uh, stores oh, no. uh, between here and, and, and the West Coast. And that most of that is direct, direct to these stores. Um, kind of a, an announcement, though, that we haven't really made on social. So you've, you're hearing it here. Here we first, go, folks. breaking news. Yep. <laughs> is our, uh, our, our first uh, uh, distribution on the West Coast um, with a, a proper distributor who's helped um, – be our logistical supply chain partner and place us in some really great accounts in, in, uh, in California and Southern California. So, um, I'll be out there in about a month. We'll do some content live from there to kind of announce who those, uh, what, what spread of stores we're talking about. Yeah. Um, but distribution has been a big consideration of, of ours for years. Never really made sense. It finally did. And we took that opportunity, um, uh, over the last 12 months which has really helped. Yeah. And so. I mean, so, so glad to hear that, that, that is uh, obviously beyond succeeding because, you know, so much has been wrapped up in a very brutalized damaged supply chain system. Uh, these, mm-hmm. these past two years, uh, interestingly enough, yeah. um, yeah. talk to me specifically uh, about like the chocolate and the coffee. Cause I know there's been some products, um, yeah. that have been added to the catalog and, and, and oh, yeah. I'm going to forewarn you. I'm fat. I'm about 14 hours fasting right now. So if you hear me groaning, take uh, no offense. Go on. <laughs> I should have sent you a package to break that. Ah! I'll follow up with it though. We had so much fun. So we do a monthly chocolate bar and bag of coffee just for our subscribers. But what that's given us is a chance to every single month, like, have this creative process of trying something new that we think has potential, sometimes failing, sometimes hitting a home run. And then if it's really good, bringing that into our main line of chocolate. So, or, or coffee. So a few things that we've, we've rolled out recently, um, on the chocolate side, our Mexican hot chocolate bar has mm. been really fun. It's a milk chocolate base, which is a 58% dark chocolate still. So it's a, it's a milk chocolate, but it's 58% cocoa. So still pretty kind of dark and, um, and fudgy, if you will. And then it has cayenne pepper, cinnamon, and mm. vanilla. Mm. And this was a really, uh, not, pr- kind of meaningful project for, for Chelsea and I, for my, my wife and I. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had been working in central Mexico for a number of years prior to launching Mocha and had a lot of, you know, many culinary experiences using cacao 
cinnamon and vanilla and, and spices. So this bar to me kind of embodies those nostalgic, um, ex- you know, ex- flavors and experiences that we, that we had. That's uh, and that, uh, that's been a, that's been a fun bar. Another one we rolled out was our vanilla white chocolate mm. bar. So it's a white, van- it's a white chocolate, which is highly controversial. So we can talk <laughs> about this if you want. Is white chocolate really chocolate, right? Um, uh, yep. well, we make a, white chocolate bar made with cocoa mm-hmm. butter that actually comes from cocoa pods. Okay. Um, and so, no, we truly believe that this bar and any white chocolate bar that's really using cocoa butter versus the other kind of oils that other chocolate makers use or, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, like palm oil is a big one, right? Yep. Um, no, that probably cannot be classified as chocolate because it doesn't originate from cocoa. But this one does, and we fell in love with um, this idea of kind of giving in to our inner child and doing a high-quality white chocolate bar. And we were um, in Uganda not too long ago uh, where we sourced cocoa, and we ended up on this beautiful vanilla farm. And it was it was amazing. So before we even got to the it – was, it was a processing facility where all the farmers were bringing their vanilla. And it's a really cool B Corp, um, not-for-profit organization. And as you were approaching, I mean, we were several hundred yards away and the aroma was just intoxicating. This fresh vanilla fragrance throughout this whole, whole village. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. we ended up visiting them, really falling in love with the biodiversity and the different models of, um, kind of, kind of the way they work with farmers and their food systems that they've created. Mm-hmm. Um, we ended up, uh, partnering with them right there on the spot and are now bringing in uh, their vanilla bean direct from the farm in Uganda, and that's what we infuse the white chocolate. So if you get a chance to try it, it's a vanilla-infused white chocolate bar, and we're actually putting that into Whole Foods in October uh, through the winter months so, you, so more people can try it. I love it. Yeah, creamy white chocolate made with direct trade vanilla beans and organic whole milk. And again, I think it's probably yeah. safe to say that, you know, the vanilla bean, as with your cacao pods, you know, you you get high quality, you get high quality chocolate. And I would agree. You know what? I was coming in pretty locked and loaded. White chocolate's not chocolate. But based on your explanation, sir, yours may very well be the only white chocolate, I believe, truly to qualify as chocolate. How about the coffee line, Jeff? Yeah, coffee's been a fun one, too, to innovate. Wow, we rolled out a blend called the Pocono Mountain Blend. And you hear me talk about single origins, and that's where I get really excited. Mm-hmm. Um, so to lead with blends is a little, um, um, you know, unusual for me, but the reason I'm excited about it, it's, uh, it's made with some really great single origin coffees that we've worked hard to blend together to create this kind of locally themed, um, what I kind of consider like a campfirey blend. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of a darker roast, kind of smoky, um, but not burnt, uh, has nice body and sweetness from uh, from the beans that we've chosen. So one of our, our local blends that you see around in a lot of a lot of shops and a lot of cafes and restaurants in the region is our Pocono Mountain Blend. Uh, but even, I think, more innovative is our cold brew coffee. So we nice. started brewing small batches of cold brew like day one. This was like 2016 in my shed. Like, like this couldn't be, um, you know, like experimental brew, you know, almost like bathtub brew style. And then we, <laughs> yeah. um, we evolved that to like stainless steel in-house brewing. Um, and just, and the flavor was great. We, we work with a bean there that really brews a caramely, almost chocolate flavor characteristic and just fell in love with high quality cold brew. 
Um, finally, we, we found a partner to help us brew this in, um, in, in proper volume and can it for us. So our cold brew ready to drink cans are in, yeah, stores throughout Northeastern PA, um, where you can always find them in our shop as well. Um, but that's been a fun one. Absolutely. Yeah. Not just, not just the Pocono Mountain blend. I know, I know for certain we've had the house blend. We've had, I want to say the Cameroon, the Mount Oku region. Yeah. Uh, but now I see like Mexico, Washasa, um, Uganda, yeah. Bocanzo. I mean, just crazy. So like, uh, you know, kids, if you're looking for, you know, blueberry and fe- like, nah, this isn't going to be your stop. But I mean, as far as quality, amazing coffee goes, um, this is definitely, definitely something you're going to want to check out. And the cold brew, too. My wife just got turned on to cold brew, so this may be the gateway. We might finally yeah. get her through to that cold brew approach. Um, nice. Set her up with that. Or yep. bring her in for a nitro, and her and I can argue over Popeye's <laughs> while we have some cold brew nitro. Uh, she does. That. She loves the nitro, yeah. too. Like, the, just in general with a stout. Yeah. Like, that's her go-to. Uh-huh. So, that I mean, that's going to be awesome. And... Are, are, are you, you have the cold brew in cans now, correct? We do, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so those are the cans I was I was talking about. The cold brew Sweet. cans not going to be found all around. Sweet, yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So you have all this going on. You're expanding the West Coast action, which I can't wait to hear more about. Um, you know, trends in the coffee chocolate business, I imagine they come and go. Um, can you give uh, the, the, the lay people here kind of something that's maybe on the horizon for chocolate and or coffee like what's something we should be looking at as a trend coming down the pike you know like for example for for you know for dining out for a while it was farm to table now farm to table is kind of taking a backseat into fast casual thanks to covid is there a similar trend coming down the pike for chocolate and or coffee yeah totally i mean coffee is already kind of in this like third wave culture space where you know, light roasts focused on origin and, and terroir and, um, uh, and, and profiles that are probably less familiar to, or less interesting to like our, our parents that were drinking Maxwell Hulse and, and yeah. Folgers who, you know, then like Starbucks came around and kind of burned everything. And then yeah. now there's like this whole other wave. Um, so coffee's already in this great place in terms of local roasters, right? Yep. Who are, buying smaller batches, focusing on smaller roast batches. I, I love it. Like my wife and I, we travel all around and whenever we're out, we look for a local roaster. We don't even need to like, um, you know, and the beans might be the same as some of the other bigger roasters, but just the fact that they're taking care of smaller batches, kind of focusing and dialing in on the roast profile to give it their own kind of like flavor brand, brand flavor yeah. Um, is really fun. So yeah, small batch coffee, you know, supporting your local businesses is really important. And I think that's where I, I think that, that, that trend is here to stay for a while. Love that. Um, and in terms of chocolate, chocolate is having this explosive kind of craft movement. Um, but it's, and over the last three years, it has seen this, uh, this bean to bar craft chocolate movement. So what you're now seeing, we're all starting to notice it. Um, but people that didn't notice the craft chocolate makers or space, if they don't follow like um, maybe food culture that closely, mm-hmm. won't have won't realize where it's coming from. But you're going to start seeing bigger brands, and mm-hmm. I mean like you know the top four that we could yep. you know you're already thinking of, and and then um, and, and then maybe the other dozen well-known brands 
start to position around some of the same things that the craft chocolate makers are not branding around, just being true to in terms of their production. That's sustainable, uh, or that's transparent sourcing, um, using phrases like bean to bar chocolate, um, craft chocolate, a lot of definitions though, that are really loose. They're not clearly defined. So like when I say, you know, and and the, and the, the tough thing there is you see a massive brand saying transparent supply chain and, to me, I'm always like, you know, it's not really about, I mean, transparency is important because you can see what's happening, but that's not actually the point. I mean, what good is, like, it, it, the point is liking what you're seeing and actually having a ethical supply chain. Um, seeing it is just part of, um, is just part of it. Actually owning it and honoring an ethical supply chain is, is another part. And so when I, I'm starting to see more of this on, on the shelves, um, like the, bigger bigger companies start to position around small batch and uh it, it's kind of kind of disappointing yeah. um it, you know in terms of they're not using any different practices in terms of their chocolate making their ingredients aren't any cleaner higher quality and their relationships at at origin uh with their farming partners aren't um aren't designed to positively impact all yeah. and yeah. you know it's yeah. it, it, it's that parallel to where like Ruby Tuesdays starts calling themselves farm to table because they got mm-hmm. their, their salad bar from a farm. Well, mm-hmm. of course yeah. you got it from a farm. That yeah. makes total sense. That's not what farm to table is truly about. And I almost right. like, it, it, as, as soon as you said the bigs were trying to embrace that, like there was this yeah. like feeling in the pit of my stomach, like, Oh God, this. And so everyone's going to be touting, I'm eating bean to bar chocolate, but you're really not. You're eating like a portion of that. But you know, at the end of the right. day, all of it's technically bean to bar. But what, like, you and your folks are doing, Jeff, that's really, I think, what's at the core, or as I understand it, what's at the core of bean to bar. It, it, it is. And, and the other thing with bean to bar chocolate, it usually means one maker who's buying the beans and making the bars. You'd be surprised. Uh, some of those, ma- the, the bigger companies aren't actually making their own uh, chocolate. So mm-hmm. um, it's a lot of consolidation. Several massive makers producing chocolate for other brands who, are branding around like that, that fine flavored chocolate or high quality chocolate. Um, and then what I think is more disappointing around that though, is that like, those are the businesses that have the financial capacity and the leverage to do a lot of good. And whereas us like small makers, there's about 200 of us in the United States doing small batch chocolate. Like we're, we're, we started for the right reasons, high quality and, 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 and farm trade ethics. Um, but we're also disadvantaged. Like we don't have the marketing leverage. We don't have the, the financial capacity, but we're, we're paying more for beans. Um, often just cause that's the nature of a small batch supply chain. Um, but if those big companies like turned up their compensation a few percent, like the volume of good would be significant. So I, I'm actually not about like, um, tearing down the big guys. It's just mm-hmm. would love to see more of them use their scale as an opportunity to do some incredible good because they really are like positioned perfectly to do that. Go all Spider-Man, um, man. With great power comes great responsibility. Responsibility, yep. That's, that's it. exactly it. Yep. That's it, man. So, I mean, you're you're in literally such an awesome place right now, but I know, I know you at least to the degree that I know you probably have some kind of three, five, seven, ten year plan going on. What's <laughs> what's next for Mocha? 
right. So a few things since you you know me too well, um, and you, you're 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 peeling back the the onion a little bit. Pulling All the right, curtain so, back. Pulling the curtain back. <laughs> pulling the curtain back. A few things. So. Um, as we do a lot of travel, we're always um, overseas doing uh, uh, sourcing or looking um, um, into the details with our farming partners, our supply chain partners. Um, we really fall in love with this idea of people could join us for these experiences. And just like I had when I met Ma Lucy back in like 2010, um, and while in a place that just completely opened up my mind's um, awareness to the world and culture uh, what if we could bring people with us on these origin trips when we source? So we started a series of origin adventure trips. Uh, we launched one to Dominican Republic, um, then one to Uganda not uh, not too many months ago, and uh, upcoming here to Costa Rica where people join us overseas to meet our farming partners, actually do work on the farms, understand cocoa and coffee, the whole supply chain, and all the work that goes into producing high-quality high quality beans while we're there of course they're having amazing adventures whether that's uh whitewater rafting on the nile or zip lining through the forest or big game safaris um all kind of built around this eco travel sustainable low footprint travel so origin adventure trips are something that we put a lot of um a lot of focus in um too over the last uh, 24 months and we'll be leading two to costa rica in mid 2023 and uganda and tanzania and beyond in 2024 so look for those Incredible. yeah those are those are definitely ways to engage in the brand at kind of a deeper deeper level um and and then just education in general you brought it up about when you walk into our space yeah. uh and, and, I, and i love these moments when people come in they're coming into the roastery they're gonna get a cup of coffee and for some that's like Maybe yet, you know, that's what they want and, 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 and that's available for them. But while they're in the space, it could be kind of self-guided or they could take a minute with uh, one of our uh, tasting room professionals to learn a little bit more about flavor or learn a little bit more about our sourcing or, or where our proceeds go and what we're supporting. Um, but we took that a step further this year and we put together a, uh, it's a, it's a chocolate uh, camp. Um, we called it our chocolate classroom. Mm-hmm. And this year we piloted it. We had about a thousand uh, students in um, throughout the summer. And this is a really fun day long program for, for families and kids to come in, participate in Cocoa 101, we call it, which is harvesting cocoa out of the pods, planting cocoa trees, and then making chocolate from bean to bar. Afterwards, they go through a tasting workshop to kind of understand the flavor dimension of chocolate and coffee mm. and then um, just have a ton of fun in, in the process. So our, our chocolate our chocolate classes is uh, up and running, and that's something that uh, you'll be able to find more about on the website really soon. That's it. That's it. And, you know, I, I, I was going to say, you know, humanitarianism really seems to be like the pinnacle and now I feel like education is right along with it for you, Jeff, and, and, and Mocha Origins. MochaOrigins.com. Uh, look across the top. Everything you need is there. The trips, the trips portion has me thinking, ah, oh, you know, I wasn't planning on Uganda in 24, but yeah, it could be a thing. Um, but everything you need is out there, folks. MochaOrigins.com. Um, and again, just, just such a great story. If you want to know more about, you know, really what Mocha has been doing, for humanity itself, look under the um, 
the social impact header. And there's just so much out there that, you know, you, you're going to feel good drinking that cup of coffee that you drink every morning. You're going to feel good eating that chocolate that you eat every day. Maybe everybody doesn't eat chocolate every day. I do. That's my problem, not yours. Um, you're going to feel good about it, like front to back. So go out, check it out, mochaorigins.com. Um, couple more afters, Jeff, and I will let you loose. Um, I am standing in your kitchen. You can pick professionally or at home. You know, we're in the, we're in Mocha, the, the Mocha Lab or, or at home, and you're in control of the music. What are we listening to? Probably. Okay. We're at home for sure. Cause, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm due to have you over for, uh, for some vegetarian pop pie. Nice. And we're right. listening to, um, probably Michael Franti. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. That's what's going on. Yep. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, Deserted Island question, which I have a feeling your answer might have changed now, given your, uh, given your change. Um, you're going to be stranded on a deserted island. Uh, you can only take three foods or food type items with you. Inexhaustible yeah. supplies, but only three. What would they be and why? Whew. That's a good question. I think I'm definitely going to have, I mean, I'm going to have cheese. So, Absolutely. You know, that's <laughs> going to be a, an obvious, obvious protein source right there. <laughs> and, uh, the other ingredients are gonna be some, we're gonna do, uh, some Thai basil, cause we're gonna figure out a way to pull off some good, uh, some good Thai food. Nice. Yeah. And I think we're going to also have, we're gonna have, um, our, Cold brew, our RTD, our ready to drink cold brew cans. Fantastic. Those are going to be. Look at that. Look at recipe this. Recipe for success. Yeah. Shameless right there. You're like, yeah, <laughs> bring my cold brew cans with me. Um, awesome. Cheese side basil cold brew. I love it. Yeah. Um, finally, Jeff, you know the story. What is food to you in a single word, sir? Culture. Oh, love it. Love it. I, I don't think anybody else could pull that answer off quite as well as you oh. because I think everything you're doing with Mocha and I, you know, I mean this, whether you were here, whether, you know, whether this is on air or off air, I really do stand in awe of what Mocha has done, is doing, and will continue to do. So, sir, I know you're busy. I know you're just crazy thank schedule, you. but I really want to thank you for joining us here on the show again today. Sean, I appreciate having, having me back and let's see if we can do, uh, episode maybe 293 in, uh, in Uganda or something. Oh, live, live from Africa. I love it. I love it. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to remember it for sure. Folks, if you want to check out Mocha, mochaorigins.com, uh, Facebook, Insta, as mentioned, they're located at 952 Bethany Turnpike in Honesdale, PA, 18431-570-979-1010 for more information. Our producer, as always today, has been the lovely, voluptuous Johnny Leland Robinson, a.k.a. the Reverend Johnny Lamoria. Be sure to check out all his pirate libertarian happenings in the 18431 across all the social media. And our next episode, hey, we're still in Honesdale, kids. There's going to be another Honesdale staple coming up. You will not want to miss it. Stay tuned. <laughs>